The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play at your table and on your television. You can think of us as the puppies and needle teeth of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who only bites with permission. <laughs> Josh, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, and that's not necessarily always true, uh, but yeah, I probably <laughs> should follow that logic. Um, yeah, well, who cares how I'm doing? How is the puppy doing? So some thoughts on pup, being a puppy owner again. This is not by any means the first puppy, but the first puppy I've had in a while. Forgot how sharp their little teeth are. Mm-hmm. You know, even the accidental nip is a little bit painful. Uh, and also there has been some weird, I wouldn't say weird. The adjustment of the other two dogs we currently own has been, um, as you might hear right now, uh, really good and just odd all at the same time. Because obviously you have to get the dogs to get to know one another and try to introduce them. Um, and the two that we've had, like we've had for, you know, almost together for like five years. So like adding a third into that mix is going to definitely be a challenge. And it's very odd because sometimes for most of the day, it is totally fine. They don't yeah. care at all. But then every once in a while, like still testing borders and testing limits and all those things. And especially she, she's a legit puppy. She's eight weeks old. And one of her dogs is a senior dog. Um, she's actually not the problem. It's the middle child who's <laughs> being very rambunctious about this whole situation. So if you hear suddenly dogs barking a lot, probably because somebody pushed limits a little further than they were supposed to. Uh, so, you know, uh, big props to the partner for, I guess, taking care of the situation while I record a podcast. <laughs> Honey, it's very um, important. I have to go record. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, potty training is going well. We've only had two accidents in the house so far, which I think for an eight-week-old puppy is not bad. That's over pretty the course good. Of a little over two days already. So... Uh, it's been good. It's been good. And, you know, at night, she only whines for about five minutes and then zonks out. Nice. And yeah. A, and so crate or no? Yep. She's crated. Um, the breeder that we got her from, this is our first dog we've ever gotten from a breeder. We've always had rescues previously. Um, they had already started crate training and things. So she like cries for like five minutes and then zonks out. We got to get up about three in the morning to go let her out because, you know, she's little. Her bladder only lasts so long. Yeah. Uh, but then she's good till morning again. So it's really not too bad, all things considered. Not that much different from a baby, so you got it. Right. You got it down. <laughs> right. Well, and it, I mean, it gets wrapped up, you know, a little faster. Like oh, life will sure. get back to normal <laughs> a little quicker than it does with a baby. I assume. So. Yeah, but it yeah, takes uh, I think twenty-one years for life to go back to normal. <laughs> and then it's still only maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. So and uh, you know, but yeah, so Nova is here, and she there's a picture of her on our on her Twitter. So you're welcome to check her out. And, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see a lot more pictures in the future. So, you know, it's going good. But how are you? Good. I'm hanging in there. It's been another week just, to, you know, in the books. <laughs> nothing exciting. Nothing, you know, nothing to write home about. We do have a date for school going back now, officially. Oh, and how do you feel about that? 
Well, we're not getting vaccinated. We're not getting the vaccine first, so I don't feel great about it. Perfect. Uh, Okay. Teachers or custodians or administrators. So it kind of seems (laughs) foolhearted. Where are you on your state's distribution plan? Well, technically we're in 2B, whatever that is, phase 2, section B. But we were shorted a bunch of vaccines, I guess. Um, They made the decision to go back last week knowing that we wouldn't have the vaccines gotcha uh so I, I think there's a lot of people not happy with that decision but you know i guess we just have to wait you know until someone gets sick and then they have to shut the school down <laughs> no so that'll be fun <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah 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 well you know at least you're on your distribution plan so. i know right hey, <laughs> not even on my states but that's cool oh, that's boy. cool Ira doesn't count apparently, but that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not b- upset about that by any means. So, yeah. But hey, you know, usually we talk for a really long time at the beginning of the podcast, Josh, but we have a boatload of things to cover in this podcast. So I think we should just get right to it. How does that sound? Sure. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Hey, so thanks for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board of VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board of VG. We're a proud part of playing some video games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far, and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG, but the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone who you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. Josh, what is your first topic this week? Well, uh, my first topic is we have a new game from, we'll call it, uh, the studio (laughs) that makes Pandemic. (laughs) The studio, the company. Z-Man Games has announced their new game. It's called Cryo. And if you ask me, it shares a lot of similarities to a video game type. Type? (laughs) A video game, uh, yeah, type. Type? Oh boy, I'm just going to be a long show if I can't get my words right <laughs> at the very start. Um, a type of video game uh, that you might be familiar with. So the game is called Cryo, and according to Z-Man Games' website, uh, with your colony ship wrecked on a remote frozen planet, it's up to you to scavenge, build, explore, and lead your faction to victory before the sun sets. It's two to four players, it's 60 to 90 minutes, you can pre-order it now. It's going for $60, which I think is pretty normal now for, for big board games. Uh, as it's as it's described by them, the colony ship has been steadily flying through space, uh, had been, until uh, mounting tensions led to an anonymous act of sabotage, sending the ship to the surface of a frozen, uncharted planet. So it's like the 100 meets... Battlestar Galactica, maybe. Okay. Uh, Damage beyond repair. The scattered remains of your ship will do little to protect you from the brutal colds. Now we're like um, survival games, like this War of Mine or or things like that. Uh, Now it's up to you to scavenge, build, and explore and lead your faction to victory before the sunset. So for me, really, I just got a huge RTS gameplay type warcraft age of empires games like that at least that's how it felt 
Um, so you have to salvage what you can. Uh, it's designed by Tom Jolly and Luke Lorry. Uh, it looks... Uh, they have like player boards that you can check out if you want to look on their website. Really shows you like... Uh, I haven't played Terraforming Mars, but I do have it and I've seen what it looks like. I would say the boards are like a little reminiscent to Terraforming Mars where you have like cubes to denote per- certain aspects of where your faction is on the board. Um, it looks pretty cool. Is this a game that you have any interest in? Not going to lie, I didn't know this about this game until I saw it in the show notes. And anytime I think of a winter-themed game, <laughs> for some, well, I, I think it's reasonable to go there. Yeah. Uh, I always go to Lost Planet. Oh, you don't go to Dead of Winter? <laughs> well, I'm thinking from a video game. Oh, okay, so okay. We talked about video games, right? Yes, so for, I love Lost Planet. That's, that's where I always go as far as winter-themed video games. But I totally get the RTS kind of idea that you're trying to get things done by nighttime. Uh, was it Frostpunk? Was that the one where it was really cold out? Yes, Frostpunk. <laughs> it's like, I just don't want all my people to die <laughs> in a very sad, depressing world. Uh, I wonder if, did they say if there's anything leading to, like, are you trying to figure out who sabotaged the ship or no? I don't think so. I'm watching, they also have a video on YouTube. Um, I'm watching that now. You send out drones to gather resources, which is pretty cool. Um, and then you build and optimize your engine, which is your player board. Um, you scavenge parts to repair your vehicles, um, uh, and you have to save your crew before the sun sets. So a little bit of like forbidden Island in there or forbidden desert actually is probably but, the more apt comparison. Yeah. But if I save them and they're the person who sabotaged the ship, like, isn't that a bad idea? Yes. I mean, but to save one person in, well, sorry, to kill 50 people because one person might be a traitor. <laughs> it might be better just to save the traitor and hope they don't do it again. Maybe they'll learn <laughs> They've learned the their error lesson of their ways. From how bad this planet and cold it is out. Um, Although we hopefully can- they have some people with some expertise in um, critical desalinization points of, of water flows. <laughs> sure. <laughs> do you not know what that's from? Uh, it sounds very familiar, but uh no it is a movie that is it the martian (laughs) no it's not it's the day after tomorrow dennis quaid says it great movie yeah so hopefully dennis quaid is available and jake gyllenhaal Mm. hopefully they're all there to help out Uh, but i will say (laughs) in general i think the game looks cool the components look great Hmm. uh it looks like a really quality production i just actually got um Sleeping Gods delivered today. Nice. I haven't even opened the bra- the box it came in because my day has been so hectic. But Sleeping Gods arrived today, and then I just, in the last week, have backed two Kickstarters. So I don't know if I'm going to get this game. Uh, but it does look cool. Like, I think it's an interesting concept. I haven't played any of the games by the designers. I actually couldn't even p- place the designers, so I did have to look them up. And, and looking at their gaming, the games they've designed, I have not played any of them. Uh, so that is, you know, usually kind of my decision about whether or not I'm going to jump into something or going to try something out is if I am unaware of the game is looking at who the designers are to see if they're a designer that I enjoy. Um, and I'm just not familiar with their work. I've heard of some of their games. I mean, mostly I've heard of, uh, the Manhattan project and energy empire. That's the one that really sticks out for me. Uh, but I, you know, I think this is a game I would definitely play if others had, but not a, a game that's high on my to pick up list. How about you? Uh, it's definitely interesting to me. Um, uh, I like, 
I think I've grown to start liking um, uh, Z-Man games again. There was a point in their time where they kind of became, uh, I guess, a studio I didn't love. I know Luke Laurie did Dwellings of Eldervale, which is like one of the highest rated games in the past like few months. Oh, that's true. That's so a good point. That might be good. And Whistle Mountain, I think, is Whistle Stop sequel. So I would uh, yeah, say stop. he seems to have a good. I don't know. There's other games though. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm not doubting their design chops. I just haven't yeah. played any of their games. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. Um, it's definitely it looks really cool, but I think for me, have having Terraforming Mars and still not playing it is a good reason for me not to grab this one mm-hmm. um, because it's definitely still uh, it seems still like a res- it's a resource builder, right? Resource management game. And, and uh, I think that's a type of style of game that if you play it and you don't like it, you know that that is not like the type of game for you. And I don't think I've played a resource management game, at least that is not sticking in my head. So I'd hate to invest in another one, not having played the one I own to decide. I guess Dinosaur Island is resource management to a degree, but I don't think to the same extent as these two games, like Terraforming Mars and Cryo would be. However, uh, it does look really cool. I really think that this screams like RTS fans. Maybe this is your time to get into board gaming. I don't know. But uh, it's cool. Nonetheless, I like the art. I like the, the price tag isn't bad. And the board's cool, so uh, check it out if you're interested in uh, surviving nights on a frozen planet. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all should probably know how to do, because with how the world is going, you never know what's next. So <laughs> That's true. Get some practice in before it happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, Josh. Well, my first topic this week is the return of, you know, I think what is one of your favorite segments? Yeah, I love it. It's great. People on Reddit are crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we're going to be answering the board game subreddit's most burning questions. So again, looking at board game subreddit, saving some of the more interesting, more thought-provoking questions and bringing them to you here, trying to give credit where credit is due to the people who post them and all that good stuff. But then Josh and I will kind of try to provide our answers uh, for all of the listeners on the Board Game subreddit who also listen, or all the people on the Board Game subreddit who also listen to our podcast, which I think is probably not very many, but that's okay. <laughs> so, all right. So starting off, Josh, here's a question from user BearClaw66. When playing a game for the first time, does winning cloud your judgment on whether the game is good or not oh for me no <laughs> um i still don't know if i'm in the minority in this um but i enjoy losing board games i just enjoy playing board games um i don't i don't have this thing there's definitely times where like if you lose by a couple points it can be frustrating or you make the wrong move um i get that but for me I don't think I've ever... I've seen fights with friends over board games. Most notably, I have two friends who, I think I've said this before, will not play Boss Monster ever again with each other. Well, I don't know if that's a bad idea, not playing Boss Monster, (laughs) but you know. So I get that. I get certain things like that where people can get a little worked up, but I'm not in that group. Like, I don't... I just enjoy the experience, the social experience, and playing games, whether they're new or old. Um... It doesn't it doesn't really bug me. You? 
So I am someone who also does not win games very often. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say I struggle. that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that. It sounds like that's what you said. I'm just saying that's, that's what I heard. If that's not what you said, that is what I heard. Uh, so I don't win games very often. As a result, I think this actually does happen to me because since since I don't win games often, that when I actually do win, I think. I believe that my reaction to that is more positive than maybe it would have been otherwise. So I don't know that I will dismiss a game that I lost, but I do think I will like a game more if I won. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. So replays will balance out those games I won first, whereas if I lose a game, I that I is probably a more real reaction to how I feel about that game than if I win it. Because, you know, I'm just not the brightest bulb on the tree all the time, and I try to strategies that i'm like hey let's see if this will work and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it really really doesn't uh so since i put myself into those positions i don't want to hold it against the game but yeah so <laughs> i do think it affects me but maybe not in the way people would anticipate that sure it so any other thoughts on that one no i mean i i understand why people people who are competitive in nature as well like feel that way um i do consider myself competitive just not necessarily in this area so um I don't think there's any – I think it's just how you handle it is the bigger problem, not necessarily if you'll ever play a game again because you lost your first time. <laughs> right. Right, right. Okay, Josh. Next question from user name. I swear I have a job. <laughs> oh, it sounds username. guilty right away. <laughs> Here's the question. When does table talk and metagaming become part of the game? So they expand on it in a rather lengthy and really well um, structured like statement. But basically, the idea of uh, if a game doesn't explicitly say you can't do something in the rule book, yeah. does that mean you can? Like if a game doesn't <laughs> say you, you can trade resources, but then you try to do it, like is that okay? Uh... The one example personally I can I can put to this that I think might be helpful um, is when playing Hanabi. I have played Hanabi with my partner so many times that by how I ask it, how I make a statement or by the statements I don't make, it says a ton about it gives more information than if a random person would say the same thing. Sure. Because we've played enough that, you know, she knows that I would only say what I said in very specific situations or that usually if I tell her about a card, it's because I want her to do something with it. Very specifically that I'm not. And if I ignore cards completely, it's because they don't matter. And that's just something we have learned over playing the game so many times together. So what are your thoughts initially hearing the question? Does table, when does table talk about a gaming become part of the game? Uh, I don't know the, the right answer to that. I think like your example is, is, is like in my head where I would be thinking like you play a game enough with somebody that it's it's not um, even intentional. It's just kind of um, uh, I'm, I'm slipping on the phrase I want to use, but it's just kind of st that it just exists. So, like you just say things, and you might not even realize you're saying them, but you've played it so much with someone they they realize where you're going with it or or how that's working. Um, but you, when you ask the question about like if you try to trade resources, but the rules say you can't like, doesn't say you can't trade resources. I think when it comes down to that, it's really about the intention is your intention to cheat the game to be better. Mm -hmm. Or is your intention, you genuinely think this was supposed to be part of the game and you want to do it because that's a big difference. 
And there are people out there who play board games who intentionally try to exploit games immediately. And I just would argue that that might not make games fun for other people playing them. Yeah, I hear you there. What? So in a game, let me give you some scenarios to, to see if we can kind of metagame this a little bit. Haha, <laughs> get it? Metagame? <laughs> so in a game like Azul, right? Yeah. All these tiles laid out. If you were playing a multiplayer game of that with more than two people, say you're playing with four or five, like, do you think it's okay for you to talk to someone else about like, hey, I really think you should think about taking this group of tiles or <laughs> working it? Like, is that okay? Because it doesn't tell you in the rules you can't do that, yeah. right? I think that's okay. A lot of games will call that out in the rules specifically. Right. Do not talk about what you're going to do. And then I try to follow those rules. Mm-hmm. Um, Gloomhaven has been tricky, right? Gloomhaven, it says... There's a lot of things we change with Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven says, you know, you're you're in a party, but you're individuals. You don't share gold because your characters would never do that. You're also not allowed to talk about what you're going to do because you aren't necessarily always right next to each other. And, like, those are the rules we break, right? Like, we do um, – we don't share gold, though. We still keep our, our individual gold, but we sometimes – if we do a road event, we'll put it into the – into the party gold instead of having to give it to somebody. Uh, or if we have an item no one will use, we sell it and put it into party gold. Uh, and and uh, we'd still try to stick to the don't tell people what... Like, we won't literally tell each other our initiative number when we play, because that tells you who's going first. But, like, they'll... Like, Joe or Greg to me will say, like, are you, are you going to move quickly this turn? And I'll be like, well, I'm going to move quickly for me. But quickly for me is super slow for you guys. So, like, don't worry (laughs) about it. Or I might say, like, hey, I would really like to move quicker than you two this turn so I could do something. Um, So we're still trying to follow those rules. I I just think, like, when you see rules like that, like, if we played Gloomhaven and I said... Hey Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my turn and I'm gonna do initiative fourteen. Can you please play one higher than that? It just doesn't seem like fun that way. Like that's not how the game is designed to be played. And you learn that by reading the rule book, right? Like I'm sure there's people who play the game that just say that and just do that. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that's not how it works for me, enjoyment wise. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to use strategy right to play this game the way that isaac wanted people to play it so i have two more thoughts really or two more examples to bring up to see kind of where we land uh pointing out who's in the lead (laughs) i don't like doing that (laughs) to influence decisions made by others is that okay i think it's okay i don't like doing it i think it's a good strategy uh especially like it, it usually leads to fun conversations because usually it's the person in last place or someone is about to get like targeted and then they'd be like, Hey, isn't someone else like in first place or have you looked at the leaderboard or, or something along those lines? I think that's okay. Um, however, there's games like Catan mm-hmm. where that's like a second job, not telling people where the robber's going. That's like, you're like, you got to shush it <laughs> and people will get mad <laughs> because they're waiting for that person to roll the dice. Cause you know, once that next person rolls the dice, you aren't getting whatever you're owed. Yeah. And 
and and it's like that in Monopoly too. Like the people who do that, those people <laughs> are mean. <laughs> you gotta be quiet. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I can see both sides of that, right? Like especially if it's like someone who's in last place and they could benefit from something they're not paying attention to. Then I, I get like you could definitely people could say things and help, help them out. Uh, you just have to be willing to accept future targeting because typically that's what will happen. Someone will say, "Josh, hurry up! That you <laughs> that person owes you money because they're on your property," and then that person's like, "You know what? You're going to be the target of all of my future attempts." Like that's something you have to be willing to accept. Okay, final one then. There's a whole bunch more we could do, but the final one, uh, counting the number of cards in decks in the game. So if you're trying to figure out what decision to make, and yeah. like you can you can kind of figure out, you know, oh, there's this many cards have been played, like how many are left, what have I seen? Is that okay to do? Here's an example I will use. I was playing pitch, and one of the players was counting cards, and we didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And then that person accused someone else of cheating. Just only to realize they miscounted cards. (laughs) And then they threw a fit and quit the game, and it created a very aggressive environment. If you're counting cards, you're cheating, in my opinion. Okay. Games aren't made for you to count cards. Call Vegas, ask them how they feel about counting cards. Uh, I know it's not for money. I shouldn't say you're cheating, because that's an aggressive stance. If you're trying to game the game, I, I guess if you're if that is fun for you, I guess that's fine. I shouldn't be so aggressive on it. It just really bugs me. It really Can makes I? me unhappy because you're relying on your flawless counting skills to hold other people accountable. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. So in deck builders, yeah, I count how many cards are in my draw pile all the time. Okay. Because I know how many cards I've taken. But that's I, so yeah, okay. what I'm tr- you get what I'm saying. That's so like your I will draw count. Pile. Yeah, like I'll count my draw pile and be like, okay, I know that I have this many things that I've already played, blah, 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 blah. Do I want to do this draw card or like to try to figure out like, is it better to hold this or save this? Like, is that okay since it's my personal draw pile for a deck builder? I think I'm not looking at them. I think so. I'm just counting them. You're just relying on a skill you have. Um, There's a lot of games that let you, like Ascension, lets you just go through your discard pile whenever you want. Right. So you can also try to figure out how many Mystics you have left or whatever. Mm hmm. I think that's fine. I think that as a player, you just kind of need to be aware of um, if you're slowing down the game by doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I did it, and I, I think for me, it's from Magic. Yeah. Because you would do it all the time in Magic. You count your discard, you look at your hand, roughly figure out, like, okay, I've had this many lanes or whatever. Like, what are the chances this is going to be a creature or a lane and all that stuff when you're trying to figure out your next step? Um, so it's something that, as a result of that, I do all the time, especially in deck builders. I count my deck all the time. But I will say very, very rarely in I won't do it in competitive games, but I will do it in cooperative games. So if we have a cooperative game where like we're drawing from a common resource pile and we're discussing about what to do, I will count the deck then and be like, well, there's this many cards left. So if we kind of like process through that way, but in a competitive game, I would never do that. So there's my justification. Josh. I know, yeah. <laughs> Even though you think I'm a cheater. No, <laughs> I, I, I came across <laughs> way too harsh, like no, right okay. off the bat. <laughs> I do, I do think there are times that it probably isn't ideal, but okay. Just a few more. Cause I, like I said, I know we have a ton of other things to talk about. Hmm. Okay. This from 
I'm gonna. I'm not gonna ask that one because the username. Josh asked me about the username later. Okay. <laughs> Just spell it out. Uh, we can't. We don't have to. No, we really can't. Okay, <laughs> Josh. Uh, what game? This is from user Uncle Iro twenty four. What game did you hate at first that you now enjoy? Oh, <clears throat> what game did I hate at first that I now enjoy? I don't know that I hated a game. Um, at first, I wasn't in love with Splendor the first time I played it. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I just, and sometimes I think, you know, that, that happens with, um, misunderstanding of the rules, um, or things like that. So I can't tell you why I didn't enjoy it. I, I guess I just didn't enjoy, um, it was a new type of game for me. I think it's pretty unique as far as it's game, as mechanics, so I maybe we were just playing other games that I enjoyed more at the time. I'm gonna guess when I played Splendor, we were probably still playing like Seven Wonders, Catan, and Ticket to Ride at that point, and, and maybe like uh, Pandemic. So maybe just the theme didn't scream to me, um, right. or maybe it seemed too simplistic. I don't know. I just know that I didn't love it the first time we played it, but. Um, that's a game I really enjoy now. I haven't even played the expansions yet, but um, I have them. I will, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing them. But uh, yeah, I'll, otherwise, I don't know that I can think of a game because there's so many board games. I don't think I would play another game I didn't that I hated. Like I just be like, cool. Let's just play a different game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you. All right. Uh, for me, it's a game that I actually haven't played in a while, but. It took me probably three or four plays to play it before I actually would say I liked it. And then I ended up really liking it for a while and just haven't gone back to it. And that is Lord of the Rings is a living card game. Oh. And similar, I when I played it the first time, I think it was just far too complicated for me from what I from where I was with games at that point. Uh, and I just really didn't understand it. It was one of the few games that I tried to learn completely just by reading the rules myself and figuring it out as well and it was so obtuse to me i just didn't understand it and i think that's why i didn't like it was just i I didn't understand what i was supposed to do i felt like i was playing it wrong all the time it was really hard and i felt like i was just a dummy because i'm like how can i not figure this (laughs) out uh but after uh, some time and kind of getting to understand everything and recognizing that it's supposed to be a really hard game uh it was a game i really grew to appreciate i didn't keep up with it as much as i would have liked to have uh just because you know those things get expensive but a game that initially i i almost got rid of right away um and then kept on kept keeping on and i'm glad that i did so nice all right josh from quagmire zero what are some small things a game designer does that you've really grown to appreciate? Oof. Immediately, I think of artists. I don't even think of game designers, which is probably a problem. <laughs> I think, uh, I guess I'm thinking of Rob Tavio at this point, but uh, with Pandemic and, and even Risk Legacy, the, the the small like the hidden things like under the box or um e- even small things in the rule books where you really have to look to find things i just kind of like it's like escape games before escape games were a thing mm-hmm. uh, i do appreciate that um for me like the, the first thing i thought of was the artists in like Gollum or spice road oh, yeah where they like hide the 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 resources in the picture for each card 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think when, when game designers, when they intentionally add, uh, hide things in the game, or even when they make the lore important to the game, which there's a lot of games with, uh, lore or theme where it's just, I mean, it's there and it can still be strong, but even with like title blades, if you look at title blades, like it has its own book, but also in the rule book, instead of doing the generic tutorials, they actually make a comic book panel of how that that situation plays out. Like going the little bit of extra mile to engage people in your in your rule book, I think is is a pretty important thing to do because rule books, you know, can be terrible in general or just a lot to read. Now I open a rule book and I go, Oh, it's only 15 pages. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which means I was playing a lot of games where they're the, those rule books are too big. <laughs> yeah. So mine, I think there are three that jumped out at me one. And this one's odd, but for some reason I, I appreciate it. A legitimate built in way to pick the first player. Yeah. That, that's a good one. <laughs> not like, Oh, the last person to travel to Tibet. And you're like, really? Like, how? Hmm. So, when there's a legitimate built in way that, ma- especially if it's a game where the first player goes, but then the second player gets, oh, they get two extra coins, and the third player gets a reset because there's some impact by where you go. Having a actually designed way to pick who the first player is is something I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, rather than just pick a random, like, yeah, don't tell me just pick a random one. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is a really good player aid. Okay. Yes, I get that. And so taking all the stuff and putting it into a little card so I don't have to be constantly pulling out the rule book or something like that that is just there. Especially, like, not super helpful, like, when you're learning to play a game, but once you have played a game a number of times and maybe it's been a few weeks since you've played it it's a really easy brush up of just looking at that card and being like oh yeah and you don't have to pull out the whole rule book so a really good player aid and then the third thing is a box slash insert that actually works and it's not just a whole bunch of baggies that you throw into the like something that works to hold all the stuff in its places and it makes sense about where to put things back and i don't know i don't i'm guessing the game designers don't design the inserts if you could see the box that uh, Founders of Gloomhaven came with when I got it, I got it secondhand. Um, it there must be a hundred backies inside, <laughs> and there's nothing inside the box. It's just wide open. It's like getting a game. It's exactly like playing a board game at your friend's house in 1992, where you go to their house and you have to make sure all the pieces are in there because it just looks so beat up. I hate it. I am 100% with you on that. All right. And final one, which is an easy one, from Dr. Mango Tang Zero, I believe, actually. Tango. Yeah, Tango, (laughs) but it's a zero, so I'm going with Tang Zero. Uh, And I'm going to modify this. Because their question You're specifically is about question. <laughs> I am modifying because their question is specifically is about keeping boxes closed when storing their games vertically. So my question to you, Josh, is do you store your games horizontally or vertically? Which I know I mean I can see, but <laughs> others can't. And why do you store them that way? Uh, I do have some games that are horizontal just so they fit, but I would say I prefer vertical because of what we just talked about. But Josh, all of your games behind you are horizontal. Did I say horizontal? Did I? You know, I've not been good with this. I meant I meant horizontal. Okay. I didn't mean vertical. The other way around. I failed. A, I failed a test in middle school. I messed up 
my horizontal and vertical, even though it's really easy to figure out the difference. <laughs> and I just had a really bad PTSD flashback. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about <laughs> that. No, no, it's that. my fault. Uh, yeah, no, I have a couple that are vertical, but they're all mostly horizontal. Um, although sometimes I display some of them standing like the Hunger Games one, but I know all the pieces of that box are on the bottom of it <laughs> and they shouldn't be that way. <laughs> Because uh, there's no insert, so they just all fall down. I thought there was an insert in that game. Is there? Maybe I'm I mistaken. I think there is. I believe that game has an insert. Well, then maybe that I explains why I have it standing up like that, because I look at it and immediately <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> uh, well, John, <laughs> going back to my previous uh, question, the, the reason I like box inserts so much is because most of my games are stored vertically. Yeah. So that's why I like good box inserts, because almost all of my games are stored vertically. A few of the big ones are horizontal in bigger shelves at, at the bottom of my storage area. But basically, everything is vertical. Uh, and, you know, I do have my own bags and things like that, so that if a game doesn't come with enough of those things, I can I can baggy things up. And it's not a big deal. Um, I even put the cards and things like that in bags so that they don't go flying everywhere. So it all works out. And, you know, for a small little investment of bags, it, it makes, I think my shelves look really nice. Like I like how they look. Yeah. It's easier for me to find games. Uh, but I totally understand that You're horizontal right. would be way easier. <laughs> You're right here first. Kyle doesn't like the way my games look. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I never no, said that. I think uh, like you have the book, the book approach, right? The bookshelf approach. Yep. I think exactly. it's more aesthetically pleasing. The only reason, honestly, that my shelves here uh, are this way is because they're basically like um, uh, garage, like storage shelves. Um, so when we get our Calyx um, bookcases, bookcases, shelving units, they're going to probably go vertical because it just looks better that way. Yeah. Uh, and the only problem is, a lot. There's a good amount of board games that don't follow the uh, space height requirement, so sometimes you just you have to lay them down. Unfortunately, that is true. Hence, why my standardized box sizes should be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we are shipping. We have to ship you Pandemic Legacy Season Three in five boxes, so they all Correct. fit <laughs> the right height right. for you. <laughs> but if you make a good insert, it might only need to be two boxes. Come on, let's go. <laughs> So awesome. Well, that is it this week for um, board game subreddits. Most burning questions. Josh, what is your second topic this week? Okay. This can be a quickie. Uh, we have now Catan is, I don't want to say um, entering new horizons or, or uh, going boldly where Catan hasn't gone before because Catan is already in VR in a form, but now um, Catan is coming to Oculus um, Quest in Oculus Quest 2, uh, where you are playing in... It's I don't know if it's going to be what people imagine. You're not in Catan. You're just in a room playing Catan uh, in your VR headset, but you can pick like avatars, like you can be a sheep. Or other avatars, uh, but basically, yeah, you can you can uh, check it out on Oculus. It has it's three to four players, so you can't play um, one to two players, which is maybe a bummer. Um, and then you have to have at least three or four friends who have VR and have it, so that's probably even more limiting. <laughs> However, that being said, 
Um, I think what I like about it is, well, I have I probably have more dislikes than likes. I like that it is represented in the VR landscape, right? There's so many games in VR uh, that are trying to do different things. Uh, it seems kind of nice to have a board game in there. But that being said, you're paying 15 bucks for it. You are relying on other people having it. And spending, I don't know, what do you think an average play of Catan is? An hour and a half, maybe longer? Depending on the number question. of players? Yeah, depending on the number of players and players with, I mean, an hour to two, I think, for most games for me. So we've both played VR. Can you Do you want to play a board game for two hours in virtual reality? Cause That's a really good question. I feel like that would be a terrible eye strain. Uh, in in a world where you can just play Catan, <laughs> like it's not like you're playing Moss or Astrobot. You can't. You can only play that in VR. You can play Catan right in front of your face. <laughs> maybe and maybe this is a bonus for pandemic times, uh, especially with people spending people lots of people buying the Quest Two uh, recently. So I guess that's nice for them, right? But. Uh, my question to you it actually isn't even about Catan. I want to know, maybe oh, Catan could be your answer. Is there a board game you would love to play in VR, and why? I'll go first. I would love to play a dexterity game. Uh, the first thing I thought of was Tokyo Highway. But a game where you're required to use those controllers to like the fullest uh, capability. So if I, I think of like the... Um, people playing like the, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but the drawing one, the 3D uh, something tool. What is the name of it? Oh, what? You know what I'm talking about, though. You th- yeah, the 3D yeah, yeah. drawing tool uh, where you, like, Jimmy Fallon does the Pictionary version of it. Um, using those controllers where you get to use your fingers individually. I picture playing a game like Tokyo Highway having to literally pick up the piece with your controller and squeeze your fingers to lift it up and play it. I think that could be a lot of fun, especially in 3D when you can get any angle on the board that you want and so can the people who are watching you play do it. So most, like, pretty much any dexterity game, but I thought of Tokyo Highway first when I was thinking of it. You can also say there's no game that you'd want to play in VR. Yeah, the reason I'm struggling (laughs) with this is is the first thing I went to, which is available in VR, because I went to social deduction games right away, and you can get werewolf and things. But you can't actually see the people. You know, you see their avatars, but that's not actually seeing people's reactions to stuff and and the potential tells there. Uh, Hmm. I don't know that there's a board game off the top of my head that I'd... Re- I mean, I could say Dead of Winter. But <laughs> I, I don't know if there is a board game I'd really, really want to play in VR. I would much rather play something where... It, it, if the goal is VR, I would rather play something on Tabletop Simulator via Zoom. You know, it, I, to me, would be way better. Because um, then I could actually see the person. That, to me, is better than seeing their cat avatar. <laughs> but... Yeah. I mean, hopefully hopefully this will be still be a way for people to get into the game, though, and for people who really enjoy the game to be able to play it. It always is interesting to me, though, where, you know, this is 15 bucks, but if you try to go buy the board game, you know, retail price is 55 or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so might be a cheaper way to get into it. So That's true. Okay, cool. Well, uh, that was it for me. I, I think I, if I get – I'm considering getting the Oculus 
Quest because of I can't use my PSVR right now. <laughs> In PlayStation, you still like it, have you still like it? Your adapter? No, I mean they sent me an email saying they sent it uh, two months ago, but I have not gotten it. And I know, I know the problem that has been happening with it that they've been sending it to random people <laughs> for random some reason. People, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't got mine, know. <laughs> but. Uh, I, well, I got someone else's sent to my address. Yeah. But I guess it's mine, <laughs> technically. So I was thinking about it, and uh, I have a bunch of PSVR discs that I can't even use because I have the discless version. So I was thinking oh, yeah. of if I do get the Quest and then the PSVR cable does come, um, I think I will, I'll play Astrobot and Moss and then gift the PSVR to someone who doesn't have VR because I'll have the Quest. But we'll see. There you go. We'll see. There you go. All right, Josh. Well, my second topic, there was a ton of video game news this last week, Josh, like insurmountable tons so much. of video game news. Uh, so my topics are going to be very quick hitting, t- covering some of these things that we'll go through them as quickly or as longly as we need to, depending on how we feel about them. Some I think will be very short. Some might have longer uh, tales for us to discuss. So to start with, my first thing is that next-gen upgrades are now available for God of War, The Division 2, and I guess kind of Control? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Control's Ultimate Edition, or whatever they call it, uh, that came out for the next-gen consoles. The Division 2 got a free patch and upgrade, as did God of War. So Josh, here's my question for you. In in a time when, you know, not that there are no games releasing, there are definitely games releasing still, but we're a ways out from a big marquee release right now, right? Like, there's nothing really big on the calendar at all. May, you know, Returnal, April 30th, depending if you're a PlayStation person, but realistically, May. Um, or I guess uh, Outriders is April 1st, right? Oh, yeah, April Fool's Day, yeah, April. Yeah, but still, I think that game is something we're excited about, but I don't know how much that's getting excitement elsewhere. How interested are you in going back and revisiting games with these new patches, <laughs> going back and playing these games? Because I know last time we talked <clears throat> a week ago, yeah. you had played like 14 games in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so how much – is this something <laughs> you're going to go do? Are you going to go check out these things? What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. Sorry. A big interception in the football game. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. I think um, it's funny because I saw that Division 2 had a patch like, that really gets it up there and i haven't finished a division two i also have been watching some playthroughs of ghost recon wildlands and i was like i really want to play another uh i want to get back to tom clancy and then the the god of war update i immediately downloaded god of war again and i'm laughing at myself thinking about all these old games i'm downloading (laughs) and then they then they include control ultimate edition and ps plus and i'm like I can't wait to play these games. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. Um, and I don't know why, because because like Ghost of Tsushima is still on my list of games I want to revisit, and that hasn't been upgraded. It just has been improved just by like how the PS5 is. And I still wanted to replay that. So knowing that God of War is going to look and play better, and knowing The Division 2... And even control, like they're all going to look and play better. I want to at least um, dive back in and give it a shot. And like, and if it's if I'm like, okay, you know, I've had my fill. I don't need to play anymore. Then I'm okay. I'm that's cool. But I really feel like I still have Destruction All Stars. I haven't played. I watched Donnie's son play for a little bit today on Twitch, and it looked like a lot of fun. So I want to try that. Uh, it's just a weird problem to have. I want to replay games I've already fully played. 
except for, I guess, the Division 2. Uh, but I love that there's support for this, right? Because we're privileged game players where we've already played these. There's a lot of people who this will be their first time. In fact, one of the guys I work with who got a PS5 for Christmas, I was like, hey, you have PS Plus? And he goes, yeah. So last month I was like, hey, download Maneater. you got to play it because it's PS5 enhanced. And then I talked to him last week. I was like, hey, forget what I said about Maneater. You gotta play control. <laughs> <laughs> so like I love that there's people getting their like access to these games now. And if if they have their right setup, they can really take advantage of a next gen experience. Uh in a year that I know that we have a lot of games coming at us, but it still could be like a lull of a year as far as like new games. So I think it's nice to have those options. And I have too many more games on my backlog now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I also downloaded God of War and Control again. Yeah. And I started playing Control again in Control in 60 frames. Whoo boy. Is it great? It is great. Oh. It's real, real good. <laughs> so I was going to try out the ray tracing because, you know, there, when the Control originally came out, the ray tracing on PC, everyone was going bonkers for. But I started it in 60 frames. And now I can't go back. It's just so good. And it's a pretty rock solid 60 frames. Uh, which makes it very hard to <laughs> yeah. want to do anything else. Uh, especially, you know, when we played the game the first time, even though it was on PS4 Pro, uh, and sometimes we had a hard time keeping it rock solid 30 frames. Sometimes, so, you know? yeah, for sure. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's great. And it, like I said, it, it is very, very, like, steady at 60 frames. And playing it makes me remember why I like that game so much. It's so darn good. It's such uh, a great So, game. yeah. Uh, but I really want to download Division 2 again, too. So we'll see what happens. But I agree. I think it's good that they are upgrading these things because even though that we have played them, uh, there's a lot of people who may not have yet. So this is a, a nice way for them to be able to play them in the best fidelity and all of that good stuff possible. Yeah. So that's awesome. Hopefully more to come. But hopefully you don't have to pay for them like you do for Control. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, Josh. You might remember back in 2016, I think, when that game came out. Yeah. There was the much celebrated Nemesis system, the system that really changed the game and made the important characters you encountered remember you and react to you differently based on your previous interactions with them. And I think pretty universally across the industry, everyone was saying, oh, I can't wait until XYZ implements this system. I can't wait till these other developers take this system and implement it into their games. And then it just never happened, right? Like never really became a thing. And it sounds like we know why now because, oh, Warner Brothers patented it. So here's my question for you, Josh. Cool that Warner Brothers patented <laughs> it or bummer because we want to see innovation and taking the ideas of others and making them better. So what do you think? Totally fine. That's kind of the way business works. You got to recoup money on this investment you made or a bummer because, hey, we want to see others be able to take this tech and maybe push it to the next level. I know you probably want to say both, but I'm not going to let you. Okay. Well, I was kind of bummed because I, <laughs> I meant to watch uh, Alana posted a video actually talking about this on our mm -hmm. YouTube channel. I didn't, and I didn't watch it, um, but I meant to. But I can't like... I don't know. My kids are running sometimes a lot of swears and I have to be careful of that. So I didn't watch it uh, pre our show. I think, um, I guess bummer because they haven't implemented it. Well, they've only used it in two games. It's kind of like the Star Wars license. Like you have this thing that has been like widely praised as next gen. Um, um, like uh, this incredibly smart, cool idea that, that finally someone implemented 
I don't, you know, I don't know if they're the first people to have the thought, but they made it work, right? Uh, it could be so, like, can you imagine it in the division? A game where you frequently fight the same bad guy because you're getting killed. And then, like, now Bullet King uh, has, like, a memory of what guns you have or whatever. Or you can't get to him because Bullet Queen is in the way or Bullet Joker. Like, it could be really cool that the... Uh, I meant to say Bullet Sponge, but I'm going to go with King because uh, <laughs> now I can make other uh, royalties from it. I just think uh, it's such a great... Can you do you remember how cool it was when we found out about that system? Like, and we found out about it like a year and a half before the game came out, and that's all people talked about for a year and a half was like, we can't wait, and it didn't fail. Like, it was a good, and it lived up to the promise. A very cool. I mean, of course, people found things to complain about, but whatever. Uh, that Nemesis system is so super cool, and and I would love to see it in more games. Um, so yeah, bummer that they patented it, <laughs> but, uh, maybe, uh, can they license that out if it's a patent? Can they sell it? Yeah. I mean, they could, somebody could pay a licensing fee to be able to do it, but you know, who, who's going to want to do that, right? Yeah. They got so much money. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. And I agree with you with the bummer side. I totally recognize and appreciate the fact that they need to recoup their investment in something like this, but. Uh, I, I think you kind of recouped your investment by selling to making two yeah. games, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, and if they had been using it more, like if it had made its way to other WB studios and it was in the Batman games and those other things, sure, fine. Okay. Whatever. Like we're seeing it more, but it's only been used two times. And that's what's so darn frustrating. Man, <laughs> the Joker remembering the last time you ran into him and like dispatching like 50 more goons than normal. How f- freaking cool yeah. would that be? Well, I was thinking about your division example of the Bullet you know, King, Bullet King, <laughs> or, or Bullet Bishop, or whatever we want to call them. Uh, so, but just thinking about that, if they came back and were like, "Oh, your you know Sentry Turn is not going to get the best of me now," and they had like deployable cover or something yeah. to hide behind, be like to try to counter, you know, something like that would be so cool. But uh, anyway, I guess. <laughs> Maybe some Can maybe only dream. However, long, however many years when a patent runs out. So uh cool. A couple other things that might be quick hitters before we get to the little bigger one for this last group here. Uh so it sounds like that we're gonna get a new Tomb Raider game announced sometime this year. It is the twenty-fifth anniversary of Tomb Raider, and Square Enix has said there's going to basically be every month uh some sort of celebration looking back on games from the past, doing live streams, talking with developers, all that good stuff. But Crystal Dynamics has also recently teased that uh they are going to release a new game or are working on a new game that's going to unify the timelines of the reboot trilogy and the original games <laughs> so josh crystal dynamics <laughs> supposed to be making avengers also apparently working on a tomb raider game yeah. uh are you excited for a new tomb raider do you want another tomb raider do you think this is a new tomb raider like the current ones but just tying the story in like how are they going to unify these things what are your thoughts there's a lot of asterisks for me to be excited about a new tomb raider <laughs> okay okay uh I think if we're doing a remake, I I feel like it needs to be like Resident Evil 2, not um, a remaster, right? Like it needs to, if they're going to try to tie it, it needs to incorporate next gen or current gen, I guess now at this point, graphics, and it needs to be accessible to everybody. And if they just tried to like remake or sorry, to remaster original Tomb Raider, it's not, it's not going to work. 
it's just a clunky game and it's a product of its generation. So I am reluctantly excited about a new Tomb Raider. I am not excited that they're trying to tie the timelines together because it just doesn't make sense. Our current Lara Croft essentially has nothing to do with the original Lara Croft. I know, I know on paper there might be more to that, but you, the journey you go on with this new Tomb Raider trilogy doesn't match up with the original Tomb Raider games as far as character goes. Yeah. I don't know that I could tell you any story beat from any of the original Tomb Raider games anymore. I think there's a dinosaur you fight in one of them, right? <laughs> the, there's... What can I tell you about the original Tomb Raider games? I, but that's what I'm saying. I played it's most of them, but I can't courses, remember a thing. And sometimes you run into... I think in the first one it was Sabertooth Tigers. Yeah, but I don't remember anything from them as far as story goes. So what do we need to tie together? Right, I, and I, I actually agree with that point. I, I can't tell you that I remember too much of the story more than the uh, looking for treasure, Indiana Jones yeah. stuff. Yeah, all right. Well, I like the Tomb Raider games, the reboot ones, uh, so, you know, progressively less, but overall, I still enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, w- I would be down to play another one. I just really wonder why they're working on that instead of Avengers. But hey, maybe they're a real big studio. Actually, I know they're a real big studio, but still, Avengers is a thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, last Second to last before we're here. Uh, hopefully, it will be a quick one. So Capcom has revealed the height <laughs> of the Lady Vampire. In uh, Resident Evil Village, yeah. uh, Lady Dimit- Dimitrescu. I don't know that I've actually heard anyone say her name, Dimitrescu. I think that might be right. I have no idea. Uh, but she's nine foot six, Josh, and apparently everyone on the internet is uh, in love with said vampire. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not going to ask you if you your thoughts on the <laughs> the culture surrounding sure. her. But here's my question. What do you think of every other or many, many other video game companies now coming out revealing the heights of their characters? So this is just something. Are we going to start getting like the tail of the tapes like before fights of like all characters now of being like, oh, this person is this tall and here's what their reach is and all that good stuff. Should we just kind of fully commit to this moving forward? It's pretty funny. Uh, Fall Guys has been like <laughs> uh, shockingly quiet after revealing I know. <laughs> the height of their jelly bean people. Um I think it's it's just good fun. It's kind of like everyone's like, "Hey, we can be KFC of Twitter. <laughs> Let's make jokes too." Uh, it's interesting. It's a funny little trend that has happened with this this lady vampire. Um, I think it's nice. It's just fun. It's just a fun thing to have. Uh, so more of the more of this lighthearted stuff. So maybe <laughs> these the gamers can take it easy a little bit and and develop a sense of humor about things instead of yeah. being offended by everything that comes out. <laughs> oh man. All right. So there we go. And like, I agree. I, I think it's funny. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I th- it's nice to have fun about with these things. Uh, I just really thought it was very, it's kind of one of those things that I feel like Capcom knew what they were doing yeah. without really, but being <laughs> able to be like, what are you talking about? You know, like a lot of plausible deniability there. Well, they're like, they, about, they made her really tall. And then they're like, someone was like, I bet this catches on. And then they catch it on. They're like, okay, quick. How tall is she? <laughs> how tall is she? How tall is she? Okay. Uh, and the final story for this first block of video game news, and probably a pretty big one. Uh, Josh, Google 
is closing down their Stadia game studios uh, and really just going third party as far as Stadia goes. Yeah. Uh, You'll remember back at the very beginning of 2020, Josh. Will I? I made a prediction (laughs) saying that by the end of 2020, Google would be out of the video game business and Amazon would be in the video game business. And I'm not saying I was completely right. And obviously we're in 2021 now, but I don't feel like I was that far off. Oh, I mean, as far as your prediction goes, you are completely wrong. <laughs> that is accurate. Yeah. That is accurate. The timeline is. I know is, what you're trying to is, do. You're trying to salvage a little bit, but <laughs> I'm trying to salvage. The timeline's a little off. But how long do you think Stadia exists purely providing third-party games? I just. I also do want to point out you. <laughs> you told me last week how wrong I was about Amazon. You're like, when's the last good game they shipped? <laughs> and then you yeah. predicted they would still be in the video game industry now. No, I said I said that was my prediction last year, yeah, for 2020. That's what I mean. Were they around in 2020? Because I was, I think I was called out of them not being around. Well, I would say, and actually, if I recall, the prediction was about them having a streaming service, not specifically about being in the game. It was about them having a streaming well, service. Well, it's still not and out. Google not, and Google still does technically, and it's no, still anyway. not out, Kyle. I'm, I'm parsing points as best I can here, Josh. I'm trying to make myself sound no, I, like I'm. A I appreciate the effort. So, what so, was your question? But anyway. Uh, what do you think? Uh, good for, do you think that Stadia is going to stick around only offering third-party games? Or do you think that Stadia as a service will eventually close the stores as well? No, I mean, the biggest problem with Stadia is that it's, a, it's, you're paying for a service and then you're paying for games. And that is the biggest problem with Stadia. And it always has been. And they can offer so many free games, but it's not the same. It's not. I mean, it is a cloud gaming service, but like not in the way you think of cloud gaming. You think of cloud gaming as you pay a service and you get games. And Stadia's like, no, you pay us and then you buy games. So essentially it's like when you, when I originally got cable internet, I paid for, I I leased the modem. I was paying five bucks a month for the modem or whatever it was. And then at one point I'm like, why am I paying for this modem when I can just go buy my own modem and not have to pay for it anymore? And that's what happened to Stadia. No one was wanting to pay just to have the ability to buy a game and play it. Which I think maybe if we saw, so we just saw this whole thing happen with Microsoft, right? Trying to charge more for Xbox Live Gold. Maybe if we were still in a world where you needed to have PS Plus or Xbox Live to play games, Stadia could live. But, you know, we don't live in that world anymore. You, you know, they've moved on from that. So you shouldn't, I don't know. You, that Their big problem was asking people to double dip or or double dipping in people's financial situations. And Amazon, it's, you know, it's six bucks a month, but you get all the games. Now, are the games comparable to Stadia? Yeah, 100%. Stadia was offering <laughs> uh, old games that mo- a lot of people have played. And then uh, and then the people who haven't played them were like, well, why wouldn't I just buy it for $10 on Xbox Live if they have Xbox? So I don't know that it was well thought out. I think that we you kind of brought it up with Amazon. I think it was, we have all this money. We should get into gaming. This is what we're going to try. And then, you know, whoever was in charge wasn't doing what they should be doing. And I know that says a lot about one of my favorite people in the gaming industry, 
Uh, hopefully she lands somewhere good. But yeah, I don't. I think it's a bummer because it's less options for us, right? But you know, I, I gave up on Stadia two months into it, and I, I was a yeah. fool who spent $120 on something they were inevitably <laughs> giving away for free to people who had Verizon subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, the article on GameIndustry.biz about this, it says, quote, Google Stadia VP Phil Harrison confirmed in a post today with Go- that Google will not be investing further in exclusive content from its internal development teams beyond any near-term planned games. This is due to the significant investment involved in creating games of the quality required, end quote. <laughs> you know, when I think of companies in the world who might have money to invest in creating games of a high quality. Yeah. I feel like Google is one of those companies. Like, they have money, right? Can you think of a game that they that they put out on Stadia? Didn't they only put out one, one small game uh-huh. right now? That's it, yeah. And it was at launch. Yeah. And it was that so. game that didn't run well at launch. I can't think of the name. <laughs> Tanya played it. I can't either. But, yeah, so, you know, you had mentioned Jade Raymond chose to leave as a result of this. Uh, she's going on to other things. They did say, though, that the other people working in their studios will be reassigned elsewhere in Google if they should choose to do that. But the person I wonder about, as uh, you may remember, Josh, back in the day, not all that long ago, former head of Sony Santa Monica, Shannon Studstill, yeah. left that studio after being there for 20 plus years to go to Google for ga- their gaming division. Uh, so I kind of wonder, I know all the focus is on Jade and what she's doing next. I kind of wonder what Shannon is going to be up to um, and what she's going to be doing. So Yeah, they poached a lot yeah. of good talent. So it's they it's did. nice. It's Hopefully they're going to end up back in the gaming world. Yeah. And hopefully Stadia does continue to be successful. I, I think you nailed it on the head, though. A good streaming thing or having a streaming option is a good enhancement to an existing service. But I don't know if right now it's the place where it can just be the service. Yeah. Yep. So and I think that's why Microsoft has such the edge in that area, um, because just incorporating it with everything they're doing is just kind of like the icing on the cake. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where that's going to grow out of. Um, but it's hard right now just to make it the service. So yeah, rest in peace. Good luck to everyone. And like I said, most it, it, Google did say that they're willing to re- reassign people, but I wonder how many people who are game developers are not wanting to go work on Gmail or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Streamline the, the inbox. <laughs> right. What color should the new message sy- symbol be? Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. All right, Josh, what is your uh, third topic then? Okay, my third topic is, uh, well, we now know the next Stonemeyer game. And it is uh, the passion project that Jamie was talking about either with us on the show or when we weren't recording. We can't remember. <laughs> I think it was on the show because he does have a YouTube video about this right around the time that he was on our show. So okay. I think he talked about it on the show too. So there you go. It probably happened on the show. Uh, but, uh, Jamie talked about, uh, being, uh, trying to get this, uh, game going for the longest time. And it is an adaptation of the Red Rising book series, uh, where you navigate through a dystopian world of dangerous intrigue. Uh, so yeah, it's a board game adaptation of the sci-fi book series co-designed by creator of Scythe, Jamie Stegmeier. Uh, it is also designed by Alexander Schmidt. He's the lead designer based on how Stonemeyer is wording that. Yeah, this is his first game. Nice. It's one to six players. Uh, it takes place in a sci fi world that sees its citizens sorted into 14 different castes. 
So you might be familiar with something similar to that. Uh, each one having access to certain privileges and rights, yeah. <laughs> uh, during the board game, players will become members of the house that has ambitions of improving its social standings and rising through the ranks to the higher castes. Uh, should they gather enough support from followers and influence from important individuals, players will have to decide whether to tear down the system or take their place in the highest colored cast, the golds. Now, I don't, so I'm not, I'm not trying to throw any shade at this game. I don't know if it came out before Hunger Games at the same time or after, but um, I don't say this in a negative way, but it has a lot of Hunger Games feelings to it. Uh, that being said, I did get the first two books on Audible because I do want to check this out because I love the Hunger Games and I'm happy to hear about another story that reminds me of it, but I'm sure it has plenty of things that are different about it. Um, throughout the game, players will use their hand of five cards to gradually collect enough allies needed to advance to a higher cast. On their turn, players can place one of their cards at a location on the game board, thereby gaining the location's effect. I don't want to read the whole how the whole game plays. This is on Dicebreaker.com if you want to read about the whole game. I would say in traditional Jamie fashion, he reveals the game on his Facebook live stream, and he answers vaguely questions that are asked and then slowly reveals more and more information about the game. So we are bound to get more um, pictures of components and games and eventually I'm sure there'll be um, an interview with um, Alexander and then we'll get a price. I think, do we already have a price? Is it 60 bucks? I think it is. that is sounding right. I think it's 60 bucks. I think we have a price already, but if not, we will eventually get a price as well. But I think I'm basing that off of our Stonemaier Champions email. I think it's oh, I think yeah. it's 60 bucks. Um so yes, I'm excited about this. Kyle, I think we talked about you are familiar with the book series. I am. And you have read it? I have read the first book And in the how did you feel about it? I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I ran into... I go in these spurts with it, with reading where I will read voraciously for a while, and then I don't read for like a year. Um, and then I get back into something else. And this just happened to be the book that I read at the end of my voracious reading period. And then when I came back to reading a lot again, I it was something else that drew me in. So I never got back to finishing the other books or reading the other books in the series. It is really good though. It is interesting. Obviously, you know, the whole young, the whole YA dystopian future book craze. And, you know, I know a lot of people always go to the Hunger Games and the Hunger Games did predate this. Red Rising, I think, came out in 2014-ish. Like, so it's relatively new. But if you think about back to even, you know, A Wrinkle in Time or 1984 yeah. or even The Giver, you know, by Louis Aubrey, like the books that we read in school, like they, they all exist. Like that's, it's been a thing for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, the modern ones, obviously, I think, um, well, The Hunger Games is the one that's up there. You're like you're Chaos Walking, which is a series you like, right? Yeah. That came, that predated uh, The Hunger Games. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I should know the year it came out. Sure. That or, sounds is it, right. or right. It's right in that same ballpark, sure. right in that same time, I think. So, you know, th this genre has just been around. So I, I, yeah, 
but it's good. It is interesting. I, the number of different um, colors and, and that are represented in, in the hierarchy of those is very interesting, and it really does uh, paint a wonderful canvas, if you would, for the world that is built. Um, so I'm interested to see how this game plays. In reading it, it sounds like kind of the culmination and putting together a lot of mechanics that you're familiar with into one game. Basically, that we're pulling a little from here and a little from there to make one game. Uh, but yeah, definitely interested. Uh, read the books, enjoyed the books. Uh, very interested to see how, as a first-time game designer who's kind of the lead for this, how that all works out. Because Jamie did say that he couldn't figure out a... He was working to try to figure a plan that would work. And as soon as somebody presented him with a, a mechanism or a way to play the game that he felt was true to the, the book series, um, then he would run with it. So it appears that has happened. So, you know, looking forward to finding out exactly how that is, what that is, how it plays, all that good stuff. Definitely a game that is on my short list uh, of games I'm looking at picking up here in the near future. Nice. So. Knife of Never Letting Go, 2008, same year as Hunger Games. Okay, okay. Also, while you were talking, there was an ad where Timothy Chalamet was playing Edward Scissorhands and Winona Ryder reprised her character from Edward Scissorhands for a car commercial. <laughs> okay uh thank you the big game for those things i guess the big game yeah so uh is this a game that you think you're going to be excited to play or do you think you need to read more where do you stand on a game that's one to eight well, yeah like one it. to six uh one to six like i said it is on my short list i don't know if this is a game that my partner would like but Obviously, that one-player option is there. I just don't know if this is a game that I would want to play at one player. Because uh, <laughs> the whole theme kind of around like the books and stuff is the interaction between these these different colors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you could like do a single-player as, like, how do I, you know, potentially lift myself up to through this system? But I, I think the interaction is really important there. So... Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. I don't know for sure if I'm going to get it. I think the box art's really striking. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, something I'm interested in for sure. Cool. Yeah. I, w when I renewed my my Stonemaier Champion thing this year, I was like, I'm going to cancel it. And then I go, oh, wait, but they're going to release something. I know I'll be able to get early. So I kind of forced myself into just pre saying I was going to get their next game. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so if, if I enjoy these first two books, I'll, I'm definitely in. Um, if not, then we'll see. Oh, wait, I'll just jump on a sale this year. <laughs> awesome. Have you started listening to the books or no? No, I haven't yet. I think I'm waiting to see if my job, my job position changes and then, um, and then I'll start one way or the other. Gotcha. 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 Okay, Josh, back into now my third topic, which is another just quick hitting of video game news here. And we're going to go in a order so that you can't prepare yourself. Uh, <laughs> Prince of Persia, Sands of Time is delayed oh again, Josh. Yeah. Uh, this, this game was originally um, supposed to come out in January and then got pushed to March. And now it's delayed <laughs> indefinitely, uh, giving us that great quote unquote, a later date. Well, Josh, when does Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, come out? Well, you saw the same video I did, right, at E3? So yeah. I think well, it comes it out in, let's say, June uh, 1998. <laughs> that sound good? So you, so you think this game is never going to come out? <laughs> no, I think it looks like a game made in June of 1998. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I, re I recognize what you're saying. But do you genuinely think this game is going to be released? No. 
I don't think they can release this game. And I think this delay solidifies my thought. They can't release this game. They put games like Skull and Bones aside to get this game out, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the inner workings of Ubisoft works. Um, but I have to imagine people who could have been working on Skull and Bones ended up working on this game. Uh, they got to do a lot of work to this game if they want to get this up to the standards people expect, which is games that are releasable within the past 10 years. So I think next year or not at all. Not this year. Not based on what we saw and how far ahead they said they were in the pro- in the progress of the game. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not looking great for this game. Um, I don't know if they were surprised by the feedback when they... And I think it was a Ubisoft Connect in September is when they originally announced it, I think. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, basically kind of took the place of their E3. Um, I think everyone was just for the genuinely shocked at how bad the game looked. And it was like... Yeah, it, it didn't look good. ...universally accepted. I think people were out there going, looking for opinions, at least I was, that they were wrong. And then people were saying that it looks good. And I, and I think it's one of the first times, like, ever that the gaming community came together and we're like, yeah, we all see the same thing. <laughs> and it's not good. And you would have to imagine someone at Ubisoft knew it didn't look good. Yeah, it's like right? a cyberpunk like, situation. <laughs> like, someone had to be like, yo, is, uh, this isn't – we can say all we want that the look is so it looks like a retro game, but uh, it doesn't it – doesn't, or no – uh, they were looking for a very f- specific fantasy look, I think is what they said. Uh, and if that fantasy was a game that looks bad, I guess they may have hit the nail on it's the It's like head. when you buy the Aladdin book at the bookstore, but it's not the Disney Aladdin. <laughs> so right. it's like <laughs> someone's 12-year-old drew all the art for the story. <laughs> yeah, And I feel bad because obviously people are working very hard on this game. I, and I have no doubts that they've put a ton of hours <clears throat> into it yeah I, I do think it's time just like you mentioned skull and bones i think it's time to hit the reset button we generally don't just, crap talk games on our podcast but i have a hard time looking, looking past what we saw for this game yeah it was it was rough looking so uh prince of persia sand of time uh hit that rewind button on the dagger and try again oh good one also i should say thanks we 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 uh we're pretty good at being critical of Switch games, so I don't want to say we don't generally crap talk well, games, really but non-Nintendo games. <laughs> yeah. uh, Josh, EA Sports is bringing back college football eventually. Literally, they released a statement during their <laughs> earnings call saying, hey, we're going to make a college football game again. But it sounds like they probably signed the deal, I think, five hours before they made <laughs> the statement. Uh, so, Josh, A, are you excited for a college football game, NCAA football, whatever you want to call it? Uh, a, are you excited about that? B, what year does this game come out? Okay, I think I'm probably the only person not excited about this game. That's okay. Uh, I did talk to someone I work with who was very excited about it. We had a good conversation about... He thought that they would just like... So, uh, talking about the release date, he thought like, hey, it could come out next year. They'll just use the Madden engine and like and then add in players. And I was like, well, I feel like every everything I know about NCAA college football is everyone loves it and it was so different from madden and that's why people love it so i i i was saying i can't see them just taking assets from madden this needs to be like a ground up game that can also transfer into madden because i also know that was a big part of ncaa was bringing your player into madden so i think 23 is a good year 
because you get a new game engine running full next gen. You don't have to worry about doing back combat. And you work on this new game. You're not just taking Madden because guess what? Every EA sports fan is sick of roster updates. And if you yeah. just did that with an NCAA football, there will be a large group of people who will just be happy to play as their their team, you know, and and bring yeah. a player into Madden. But if you know you you can't just announce a game that has been this much requested and then just copy and paste a Madden. Well, and realistically. Theoretically, you can't do that because college football plays really differently than the NFL does. Right. There are t- styles of offenses and styles of defenses in the college that will not work in the NFL, but they work in college because player skill, like all of that, <laughs> is just lower. And there are things you can do that you, you can't do necessarily at that next level as effectively. Yeah. Um, Unless you're the Miami you Dolphins <laughs> and you play Wildcat well, you all see, the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you see the Wildcat, which now you, you know, everyone in the NFL tried to run for like a season and now you'll see like one play yeah. from certain teams a game run from the Wildcat. But that was something that was, you know, very much in college football, that triple option, like all those things that you just don't see really in the NFL. Uh, so I don't know that they can just copy and paste it. Uh, do you think this comes out first or does Skate 4 come out first? <laughs> I think Skate 4 probably has a better chance of coming out first, just based on time. Like, we know that they've at least been working on it. Well, they just formed the studio. Yeah, but I feel like we they have... Uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. I feel like they've been working on it. Maybe not with that studio. Maybe they're going to start all over again. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I don't know where to go, where to land on that. Uh, I think it'll be out first. So I th- I really think they have at least the skate has a framework. Yeah, I guess it's been a long time since an in, in NCAA. Well, when was Skate three though? Well, maybe it's about the same time. It's been like ten yeah, years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, so I don't, know I don't that even that uh, Google it. I don't want to, but I feel like Skate three. Okay, we're just going to do this the right way, right? So Skate 3 came out in 2010. Yeah, NCAA so football. 2014? 14. Yeah. So, yeah, so actually Skate 3 is older. Yeah. Well, I ate my words last week. I'll eat them again this week. Oh, <laughs> uh, no big deal. No big deal. Okay, Josh, moving on. Yes. Uh, Activision did a – their – uh, earnings call because it's that time of year we're all you know we're talking about how much money we made and you know Activision had their best year ever made like 20 billion dollars or whatever it was some ridiculous number uh, but during that conference call Activision came out and said that hey Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 don't expect either of those games this year number one are you surprised <laughs> number two we talked a while ago about Vicarious Visions being wrapped into Blizzard yeah two weeks ago does this <laughs> Yeah, does this further confirm <laughs> that maybe Blizzard that things are going on are a struggle there? Okay, am I surprised? Yes and no. Uh, we we did just talk about both of these games, and I think we both agreed they need to show both of these games at BlizzCon. And I think now we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> at least not. You don't to think the, they're going to show that? At least not to the degree we thought we were going to see it. Um. Now. As far as Vicarious Visions, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense now. Uh, it sounds like they're the Band-Aid team. <laughs> and we talked about the games they've done and how they've helped other games. And maybe that's what they're coming in for. Maybe they're like, hey, we need help. Because they didn't even mention Diablo Immortal, the mobile game. 
Because that's coming out this year, Is right? it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, we don't know. They didn't mention it. So, but like, Vicarious Vision's really, really popular with mobile games and portable games. So, my first thought when we were talking was like, hey, maybe they're helping with the Diablo port, the mobile version. Uh, that could still be a game that just doesn't come out. Maybe they're like, hey, we can't, you, we can't even get this game out. Um, because you can't get League of Legends on a cell phone. So why, how can, why, why, why did we ever think we could play Diablo on a cell phone? So I think they had to release that info, right? Because it's on their earnings call. They have to release a lot of things they don't want to to make the investors happy. So maybe they didn't even want us to know this. Uh, I think what that does solidify though is. Yeah, we have to believe them. These games aren't coming out this year. But also, I think, why show these games now then? You already showed the games off way too early. Take a yeah. break. Hopefully you get something else going on. And if you don't, why have BlizzCon? You're living in the world with a perfect excuse to not have BlizzCon. Why even do it? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, my I obviously am someone who really loves Overwatch, yes. and I want them to take as long as they need to on Overwatch 2. But I, I do have to wonder what exactly is going on with all of that stuff. Because it seems like when we saw Overwatch 2 and when we saw Diablo 4, that Diablo 4 trailer was sweet. I'm not even a huge Diablo person. That trailer was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I just I wonder what in the world's going on. And they even said that Overwatch Two passed a major development milestone in December. But what was that milestone <laughs> that people can play the game? Yeah, this <laughs> alpha. That the milestone was? <laughs> We've like, entered alpha. I <laughs> so, and I guess with Activision, they now have three billion dollar annual franchises. Call of Duty makes over a billion dollars a year. Uh, World of Warcraft and Candy Crush yeah. all make over a billion dollars a year. And they're trying to add multiple more billion dollar franchises. So they did make it sound like that both Diablo and Overwatch are going to get mobile games, are going to get other content in addition to just these core games moving forward because they really are trying to drive that revenue model of really pillar-focused IP that has multiple ways to interact with it, multiple game styles. Because, you know, Call of Duty, you have their annual $60 release, you have Warzone, which is free-to-play, and you have their mobile game. Yeah. You know, all just raking in that money for them. So we'll be in- it'll be interesting to see. I just hope now that after announcing, you know, their best year ever that they don't go lay off a whole bunch of people like they did last that time. That would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, Next week on Board uh, of Video Games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? So, uh, Josh, this is kind of a story for you. Actually, the next two are both kind of for you. Yeah. Gearbox, now owned by the Embracer Group, Randy Pitchford is now going to have to do his magic trick <laughs> for people in Sweden. I think that's where the Embracer Group is from. Uh, $1.3 billion, yeah. Josh, for Gearbox. I think Randy Pitchford uh, just they, retired. They overpaid. <laughs> they overpaid, right? I don't know. In an industry where where Microsoft just paid $8 billion for Zenimax. Josh, PlayStation bought Insomniac for two hundred and twenty nine million dollars. Yeah, are you telling shame like, on that PlayStation? Like, <laughs> that seems like a screaming deal compared yeah, to those poor guys at Insomniac. Point- I feel bad for them. Yeah, poor Tim Price. He's probably like, ah. If I just I waited, I could be owned by Microsoft instead. <laughs> Uh, right, like one point three billion is way too much. Because what are they like? They don't even own Borderlands. That's a two K property. <laughs> 
right? Well, they must have had a pretty good presentation, huh? I don't understand this price. Uh, it is a very high price. Maybe they didn't realize that 2K owns Borderlands. <laughs> Maybe. I'm pretty positive that's true. Yeah, no, it is true. Uh, okay. Well, no, no. Gearbox owns it, but 2K published it. So my guess would be, you know, like Megadeth put out a whole album of crappy songs just to get off their record label. Maybe you don't know that, but they did that. Uh, so that they could go on their own. Maybe the deal with 2K was three Borderlands games. Well, no, it sounds like 2K is still going to continue to publish Borderlands, though. This merger does not change 2K's relationship with Gearbox, nor our role as publisher of Borderlands IP. Okay, hey, I just read that. Well, then I don't know why you would spend that much money on Gearbox, because the only other game they own is Homeworld. <laughs> and that is a... Oh, Okay. It does sound like that, that. Yeah, it does sound like Gearbox owns the IP. 2K is the publisher. Okay. Yeah, I mean we'll see, right? I'm clearly this was not a lightly made decision, and we we just don't we're not on the on the ground floor for this one. <laughs> I think it's great for Gearbox. I just hope everything I've heard about Randy Pitcher is wrong, <laughs> because I still like the guy, <laughs> but I keep getting fed information that makes me not want to do it. <laughs> So hopefully none of it's true. Uh, yeah, good for them. Uh, that's that's a lot of money. A lot of people are going to retire from Gearbox. It's probably bad news, really, for Borderlands because everyone's going to leave. <laughs> hey, I just yeah. got a $200 million bonus. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> but cool. I mean, that's huge news. I, didn't, I don't think anyone saw coming Gearbox. One, selling for that much. Two, selling. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, oh, now that I have an actually legitimate source, it says that um, the developer says it has quote unquote agreed on certain rights for the series, yeah. but that they own the IP. So it sounds like 2K has some sort of investment in Borderlands, but the o- IP is actually still owned by Gear. I'm sure they're betting big on that movie. They just signed on Kevin Hart. They did. That's true. They have they have Kate Blanchett, Academy Award winning actress, and now you get Kevin Hart. Yeah. Like, uh, if they keep signing on people to this Borderlands movie, maybe their investment's tied up in that. They're like, hey, we're going to get 80% of the profit from the Borderlands movie. Just We just hope it doesn't release on HBO Max next year for free. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, so, and according to a insider uh, that, and I, maybe this is part of the reason the price went for what it was, um, but this, that Microsoft was another company in negotiations <laughs> like, to purchase, quick. to make this purchase. <laughs> Paid up $800 million. <laughs> Microsoft yeah, <won't> so, <laughs> so, yep. So, that apparently is, um, may, maybe that led to the price being what the price is. Uh, but Embracer Group now has 57 internal game development studios, Josh. Wow. 57. From a group That's I never heard of before this week. <laughs> they got so many studios. If you Divisions. want a double-A game <laughs> or Borderlands, they got you covered. Okay. Wow. Um, and finally, Josh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition is coming in May. Yes. How excited are you, sir? Words cannot explain, but money can. I spent $150 on a collector's edition that doesn't include the game. <laughs> Now, so that's how excited I am. <laughs> I made this comment in the Discord, which you should join our Discord if you haven't yet, listen. Okay, I'll join. Uh, they just need to stop calling those collector's editions. They need to come up with some other name for them because the fact that they don't come with the game, <laughs> it should be like, 
nostalgia loot crate or something like that because that's really what they're going for and just call it something different other than a the game collector edition because it doesn't come with the game yes so here's what i'll say so to the people who are listening if you try and find the ign youtube video where they talk about this um because i think they're i will say this i think they're a little too critical but that being said, they do give a lot of good information. And the I think the most important information they give is a reminder to people that this is not a remake. This is a remaster. Uh, and while we did have some conversation in our Discord about this, you're not you're getting these games with 4K textures, but it is artificially it uses AI to enhance um the the textures however they also do talk about how the ai does the hard work but they still do have full teams going back in and checking to make sure everything is rounded out they're giving you the best possible version of each one of these games for our time now so while part of my brain wants to be critical or maybe even worry about that a little bit I start to think about my playthrough of Spec Ops The Line on the PC and how good that game still looks and controls. So I would still say, while there's, if you can make sure your expectations are in line with what you're buying, this is, for me, hands down, the best video game trilogy of all time. And I know that other people have their own favorites, but... This, for me, was probably my first time really playing a light RPG. And and I know I have played others before and during and after this whole trilogy, but I don't know that I ever really um, took two characters the way I did in this and really felt like I controlled. And, and I know it's a controlled reaction from Bioware. Like, they want to make you feel like you're in control of things when you're not necessarily always in control. But it was one of those first games where I guess I I shouldn't worry about spoiling the ending of a 13-year-old game. (laughs) But I did something in Mass Effect 1 that I never even thought I could do in a video game ever. I completed the game in a way I never thought I could complete a game without having to fire a single bullet. I'm trying to lightly spoil without spoiling what I did. Because I really hope people play Mass Effect 1. And we talked about in Discord, a lot of PlayStation fans, they didn't get to play Mass Effect 1. They had to settle for this crappy, in my opinion, like comic graphic novel interlude where you just made some decisions. You didn't even get to like experience this game. It was It was like a revolutionary game at the time, and... Uh, I still feel like it is. So I can't wait to revisit. I'm sure there's going to be things I hate. The Mako missions in Mass Effect 1 are insufferable. And maybe they'll fix them a little bit, but this is just something that I'm, I'm, I've, I'm so happy we have a date for. And it looks incredible just from what we saw in the limited trailer. And yeah, I mean, 40 DLCs included. I know like a lot of it's like, some of its character DLC from Mass Effect 3. Uh, but there's actually some really good DLC from Mass Effect 1 and 2 that, that a lot of people didn't play. 
Um, I'm going to butcher, it's not behind the sky or maybe it's burning sky. Uh, something to that effect for Mass Effect 1, which was very good. Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff out there. I don't want to keep talking about Mass Effect because I could, but I got a helmet coming and it's wearable. You do. <laughs> and I'm very you excited about that. <laughs> uh, Josh, is this going to be your running for game of the year? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I have to kind of take, I have to be aware of what I'm playing as well as mm-hmm. it's not a new game technically yeah i mean i could probably say it's it's my game of the year maybe i'm probably no question i like i've played these games i can tell you yeah replaying these games is going to be the highlight of my year in gaming regardless of what is released even if it's horizon zero dawn nothing can touch mass effect for me i say that saying horizon zero dawn is my favorite game of all time (laughs) (laughs) but it's a little different i think it's a different situation Uh, it's You know, we we talk about nostalgia a lot and how how important that is and how it can cloud our vision. This is a cloudy yes, journey for me. <laughs> yes, yes, it can. Uh, I'm excited to play this. I just wish it wasn't coming out in May. I wish that Bummer, rumored right? <laughs> March date had stuck because, goodness, that would have been great then because uh, there's a lot coming out right around it. Uh, and there's a distinct possibility that Mass Effect is going to win out a lot against a lot of that stuff. But we'll have to wait yeah. and see. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised. So Mass Effect coming in May. If you haven't played it, as Josh said, definitely should give it a shot. So Josh, last week, really briefly, we had assigned one another homework. Not to go too in-depth into it, but have you done any work? This is just a progress check-in. Have you done any work on your homework? <laughs> yeah. So I thought Xenoblade Chronicles ends at Chapter 12. It uh-huh. ends at chapter 17. <laughs> okay, that's what's fine. You don't have to finish that game. But then. That's okay. I've been working on it. Um, I've been trying to do... Uh, so I think I'm in chapter 13 now. So I've been working on it. I have also been working on the medium. The medium has gotten progressively scarier than I originally said it was. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's definitely fitting more of the Silent Hill vibes game. Okay. Uh, but I'm still chugging along with that. How about gotcha. you? Uh, I have gotten my Xbox rehooked up, but I have not downloaded Forza Horizon 4 yet. Uh, and Godfall is now the first game on my like queue list in PS. Oh, so you've done nothing? <laughs> no, I hooked up my Xbox. That's something. The minimal. I, thought, I, I have a third. One of the three things is done. You have zero of two done, Josh. My my completion percentage is higher than yours. What about climax? What the movie? Oh, so where I have not watched that. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's okay just checking <laughs> yeah I have not watched that so I didn't know I, that was part of this assignment that was I thought a different assignment oh I just I thought all of the homework was grouped into one thing oh gotcha no I'll, I'll get I, I am going to watch that though maybe even tonight we'll have to wait and see. don't watch it okay yeah do what you want <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens uh, okay Josh then prediction time what's going to be announced on Monday before the podcast post on Tuesday? hey we're still due for state of play right we're also still due for a direct a direct um okay we have i'm predicting we're gonna get a mario and bowser's fury direct as a cop-out direct from nintendo because that game comes out next this week when you're listening this week i guess for us yeah no that's good that's good that's really good uh i am going to go with i'm trying to think because there's so many like like uh financial calls that just happened uh, so a lot of the news that I thought would have impacted finances would have been announced with those things. So I'm going to come out and say, man, even though I don't want to, they're going to delay Outriders again. Oh, no. I hate your that's prediction. That's what I think it's going <laughs> to I don't like it either, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to say, okay, we're you know almost to the point where we have to ship, you know, 
press discs were really close to that point, so I think they're going to delay Outriders again. April Fools, fools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. So we did get some emails this week from some dear listeners. Josh, why don't you take us through those? Okay, so we get a tweet from Splig at Delicious. Uh, Splig says, uh, congratulations, Splig, by the way, on winning that uh, e- Nintendo eShop code. $99. I wonder Dang. what you're going to get. Let us know. Uh, what board game or board game company would make the best Super Bowl commercial? I'm thinking at Pandasaurus Games with Dinosaur Island, and at Pandasaurus Games replied, agreed. Uh, so they answered for themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. What board game or board game company? Well, you know what? I'm going to go for this year's Super Bowl with Pandemic. And then it's just going to be like, you've lived it, now play it. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I am going to go with Asthma Day because, of course, actually, we're specifically going to go Fantasy Flight. Uh, and we're going to say that they had created like a Mandalorian game. Ooh. Like I can see that being a really good some you know you could do any other Star Wars property if you wanted to, but I think if they had a Mandalorian game, I feel like that'd be a great Super Bowl commercial. They do have Mandalorian Monopoly they and do. Operation. My <laughs> my apologies. Come no, no, on, it's not Hasbro a real Mattel, game. Whoever owns those. <laughs> awesome, cool. Okay, Saving Throw Studios jumps in at Studios Throw on Twitter. <laughs> this will be fun. Uh, create a new game live impromptu style. Whose game is it anyway? Question mark. All right, Kyle. We got to create a new game right now, live. We haven't talked to each other about this. We need a theme. That's where we need to start. So the theme could be a podcast. You have to create a podcast. Okay, we're going to have a problem here. I disagree with you immediately. <laughs> okay, so what is your theme? Uh, uh, not podcast. <laughs> okay, what's your theme then? Uh, what is your favorite hobby? That's the theme is what is your favorite I'm hobby? I'm asking you a question. <laughs> I mean, playing board games? Playing board games is your favorite hobby? Okay. Sure. We'll go Let's with that. make a board game based on About board game designers. Board games? There was Meta. a board game based off of <laughs> Essen. Uh, very stuff of Essenspiel. So we do board game designer the board game. Oh, I like where you're going. So board game designer the board game. What's What are you trying to do? Are you trying to create the ultimate board game designer? Yeah. Are you trying to build a team of designers and have the best team? Like, what's the goal? So here's what I'm thinking. You can play cooperatively or competitively. You have a deck of themes. You have a deck of pre-selected artists. And you are drawing Seven Wonders style. You draw from all the available decks. So you have theme, publisher, designer, and then player count. And you they all get shuffled together. And you, and you shuffle them out like Seven Wonders. And you draft, and you pass the deck to the right until you have a full hand, where then you have a theme, ultimately, a board game designer, an artist, and a player count. And maybe... But what if you just maybe even like a time all the designers? Well, it would have to be set up uh, so that couldn't happen. So the first round, you just draft theme. Oh, uh, okay. The second okay. round, okay. you just draft. And then maybe you could do it Sagrada style, where there's always one left over, and you can use a special ability where you can swap out your theme for a certain amount of victory points for the remainder, the theme that's visible on the top of the board. Like this is the discarded theme. It's Red Rising. <laughs> so how do you how how do you win? 
you win. I don't know, Kyle. I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. <laughs> no, this is good. This is good. I'm asking the question. How do you win? How do you win? You win by getting the most victory points. So I haven't played fast food magnet, food chain magnet, but I imagine we can create a system where we try to hit certain demographics and that's how you get victory points. So maybe there's like a flow chart <laughs> for, or even, or yeah, where these certain types of games hit this demographic. Can I amend your idea? Please. Why don't we, I like where you're going, but instead of um, drafting all of the things, what if we think of it from a Seven Wonders perspective, like with the leaders expansion, where you pick a designer that you start with, yeah. who has strengths in certain areas and weaknesses in certain areas, and then you're drawing from the cards, themes, and com- like all of those sorts of things, trying to match a the best hand you can based off of the skills and abilities of the designer you have as like the designer you are yeah that's good that makes sense that's good too yeah yeah so you're trying to maximize your designers strengths and you lose and gain victorious points based on the cards you end up with yes but we also have to figure out a way to encourage player interaction you could try to think of an easy way to do this uh, between each round. So you could have the different ages like you do in seven wonders or something similar to yeah. that it could be more than three uh, between each round. You could have a, um, uh, a, a, a wrench round or we could call it something else where you each of your designers come with basically kind of like in the villainous uh, where you can, um, put fates and things like that on your other characters, like some sort of obstacle that comes up that there is a global pandemic for printing or something <laughs> else that comes up that's going to impact the design of like, oh, here's feed or publisher feedback, right? Like, okay, um, the persons you see the cards in front of them say that they're creating a, uh, a deck building game for two to four players that plays in 50 to 60 minutes um, with a fantasy theme. And then the f- feedback from the designers is like deck building's overwrought and we have too many fantasy games. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then like for your next time, for the next round, then you have to try to adjust to the feedback that you're given. I like it. Okay, there we, we go. It. Saving Throw Studio. <laughs> we just designed a game in about eight minutes. If you make that game, we game. better get credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little note in the in the in the rule book is and two percent of uh, the profits each. <laughs> so we'll each get like a buck. Hey, I'll, I'll right. take it. <laughs> I'll take it too. Awesome. So with that, we are obviously a gaming podcast, uh, but we also want to leave you with a recommendation we're currently into that's helping us live that well-rounded life. Uh, Josh, what is your recommendation for our listeners this week? Okay, I'm finally ready to recommend this. <laughs> Okay, uh, I can see that. I can see that because I'm caught up on the show now too, and I can see why you waited until now. I've been a little hesitant because I didn't think people would be on board. I'm I'm finally going to recommend WandaVision on Disney Plus, with a caveat: uh, you need to do some homework um, before you watch. I watch. I'm watching Suzanne from Dice Tower on Twitter talking about how she's starting WandaVision, and she's like, "I haven't watched all the Marvel movies." These are like the eight I haven't watched. And like one of them was Age of Ultron. <laughs> and I'm like, don't That's watch the show. And one of them was Infinite Infinity War. I'm like, okay, so on Disney Plus there are there are these Marvel vignettes where they have two episodes. 
and it's called uh, Legends, Marvel Legends. The first episode is Scarlet Witch. The second episode is Vision. If you haven't watched or you need a refresher on Marvel movies, I would recommend watching those first. That being said, if you can watch Age of Ultron, you should watch that for the whole thing. And and maybe Infinite and Infinity War and Endgame. But you really need to understand the character of Wanda, who is Scarlet Witch. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just uh, got a touchback in the end zone with a one minute and 33 seconds in the fourth quarter. They're up 31 to nine. So okay. the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. I guess go Tom Brady. He's dead to me now. <laughs> um, so this show is incredibly genius in its delivery, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise for Marvel at this point. I think it really just solidifies the fact that they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, it's, I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil anything, but what I will say is that you are in the perspective mostly of Wanda and sometimes of Vision. Each episode takes place in a different decade of television. And, and there's a lot of Marvel Easter eggs. The good thing is after you watch one episode, you can easily find somebody, usually like IGN or someone, recapping Easter eggs from the first from each episode. So if you feel like you missed something and you want to catch up, uh, you can also discover what's going on. But I will say from my wife who's a casual Marvel fan, even after the last episode, she was like, wait a second, that's not right. So even she knew, and and she called out why it wasn't right. Like She even knows these things. So I think it's incredibly accessible to any casual Marvel fan, but it is so well done and filmed and acted in the chemistry between... Um, I want to say Ashley Olsen. <laughs> That's not her name. <laughs> that is not. <laughs> I did have to explain to my wife that she is the sister of the Olsen twins, though. Um, Elizabeth Olsen and um, Paul Bettany is great. They have great chemistry, um, and it really feels natural. So uh, that is my easy recommendation if you're a Marvel fan. Check out WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Awesome. Uh, my recommendation, uh, and I have been watching WandaVision as well, uh, and I agree. It takes a while to get into it, mm. but once you're into it, it, it is worth the the trip to get there, I think, because uh, the first couple of episodes were very odd. <laughs> but with that being said, my recommendation is a, I think, a kind of a unique one. The Alinea Group um, is now on Twitch. If you're not sure, uh, familiar with who the Alinea Group is, uh, they it is a restaurant company. Uh, Alinea being their probably most well-known restaurant in Chicago. Uh, Alinea is typically considered to be one of the best restaurants in the world, um, often ranked as the best restaurant in the United States. Um, one of those places where, you know, going there is, you know, 250 to $350 a person. Uh, very expensive. Very, <laughs> uh, uh, it's more than just about the food. It's about the experience of eating there. It's kind of on my bucket list of a place to go eat someday. Anyway, long story short, Grant Atchitz, the owner and head chef, um, has his team have started a Twitch channel and they did their first test broadcast recently. And I will say 
it is very clearly a test it is rough like there's no <laughs> audio for like the first six minutes they're really kind of getting things sorted out and they tell you that hey we're doing this just so that we can get things figured out so in the future we can have um you know a more quote-unquote regular broadcast their hope is to do weekly um cooking shows basically via twitch this is something uh that there are some people doing uh you know kevin slash justin did it back in the day um and it was really great when he was doing it uh but we haven't really seen a really big name like best top of the line chef uh in a long time show up on twitch uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Their hope is that, you know, eventually they're going to release recipes ahead of time so you can cook along with them while they're doing it. Um, so it's just very, very cool to see someone who is so, because, you know, I love documentaries and I love documentaries about people who are really, really, really good at what they yeah. do. And this is literally one of the best chefs in the world. Like no argument, one of the best chefs in the world showing you how to cook period. Uh, and that's just a really cool thing. So, like I said, the first uh, the first one is interesting, but definitely a little rough around the edges if you're used to really high-quality Twitch streams. But hopefully something they keep it up. So check out the Alinea group on Twitch. Nice. Josh, what do you say we wrap the show up? Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. And we tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg. So please use that hashtag as well on all social medias. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed uh and lua plugs i will say we are gearing up for a guest in two weeks two weeks not really but two episodes from now uh we have a guest coming in so look forward to an announcement for a guest and a request for questions so stay tuned to our socials for that kyle where can people find you so you can find me on all the usual places, uh, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.